Whenever I wear this thing, I kind of feel like Batman <laughs> because I have to turn my shoulders. I'm worried if I like quickly turn, it's going to fall off. So Batman, that's how I feel today. Uh, so today we kind of end our series uh, looking at Jesus's I am statements uh, with the chronological last statement, I am the true vine found in John chapter 15. Uh, we're going to look through this passage verse by verse, so I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, keep it open uh, so you can sort of track through, um, but we will begin by reading through the passage together. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away, like a branch, and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is the word of God. Now, to give you a bit of a background, John chapter 15 is in the middle of what is called Jesus' upper room discourse, uh, which encompasses John 13 to John 17, or from the washing of the disciples' feet uh, to the point in time where they leave the, the room, uh, leading to Jesus' arrest. And in these chapters, we see Jesus is intimately sharing his heart with his friends. So we begin with chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. We hit the gate running with Jesus declaring himself to be the true vine. Now that kind of begs the question, if Jesus is the true vine, who then is the untrue vine? Well, in fact, the Old Testament is full of language referring to Israel as the vine. Psalm 80 speaks of God bringing a vine out of Egypt, referring to the exodus of the Israelites from slavery. Jeremiah chapter 2 says, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? Isaiah chapter 5 speaks about God preparing and planting a vineyard. It reads, Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, 
but behold, an outcry. And so we see Isaiah refers to Israel as this pleasant planting, as the vine. On the front of the holy place of the temple, there was a huge golden ornate vine. The vine was a symbol of the Israelites, much like the cross is a symbol of Christians. And so when Jesus says that he is the true vine, his disciples are tracking with the imagery. To quote the New Testament scholar, and I will point out Scotsman, so he's obviously smart, <laughs> William Barclay, he said, Jesus calls himself the true vine, and the point of that word true, real, genuine, is this. It is a curious fact that the symbol of the vine is never used in the Old Testament apart from the idea of degeneration. The Old Testament passages that I read and the ones that I didn't are not referring positively to the vine. It is referred to as a wild vine which has yielded wild grapes. It has turned degenerate. Barclay continues, it's as if Jesus said, you think that because you belong to the nation of Israel, you are a branch of the true vine of God. But the nation is a degenerate vine, as all your prophets saw. And it is I who am the true vine. The only thing that can save you is to have an intimate, living fellowship with me. For I am the vine of God, and you must be branches joined to me. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Continuing to verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. As Derwin mentioned, I used to work at Barnabas Family Ministries on Keats Island. And before Barnabas was Barnabas, it was a fully functioning farm. To this day, there's still a lot of farming activity that takes place on the property. Uh, and right in the middle of the property, there's this beautiful old orchard. And legend has it, these trees were planted in the 1960s. So I have some pictures for you of the orchard. So these are just some of the trees. We'll show the next slide. This tree is bearing a lot of fruit. It's beautiful. And the next one. So this one here, we see a tree being pruned. These trees have been yielding fruit for 60 years because twice a year they go through a major pruning. Uh, and you see that in this picture. They're significantly cut back in order to optimize the produ production potential of the tree so that they can bear more fruit. And Jesus calls the father the vine dresser, the one whose charge it is to cut away and to cut back. Branches that are dead or are dying are cut away to make room for the healthy branches. The healthy branches are cut back so that the tree can put more energy into bearing fruit. And so verse 2 tells us that the Father does this work of cutting away and cutting back. Every branch in the true vine that does not bear fruit is cut away. And every branch in the true vine that does bear fruit is pruned or cut back so that it can bear more fruit. But notice, either way, there is cutting involved. Either way, there's likely to be some pain involved. The great vine dresser lovingly cuts back what is unnecessary to make better space for fruit. And so you may have experienced this in your own life where something is brought to your attention that God wants to remove from your life. And it's not an easy process. It's not a pain-free process. It may be an addiction of some kind or sin, a quickness to anger, a lack of compassion, maybe a judgmental spirit, 
a tendency to gossip, or maybe it's just simply distractions, too much time in front of a screen. And so God brings these things to your attention because he wants to help you cut it out of your life or cut it back to remove the things that hinder you. So as verse 2 says, you can bear more fruit. I think if I was given the charge of pruning a tree or a vine, I would royally mess it up. There would probably be no branches left at the end. I would keep on cutting because I didn't know what I was doing. But God, in his abundant wisdom, he has a vision for the vine or for the tree. He knows the shape that he wants it to be. And so he cuts back. He knows what to cut away to keep that shape. Moving on in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, Jesus here may be referring to a couple of chapters back when he washed the disciples' feet, and he declared that they are clean. But we can also say that Jesus, he, he tells his disciples they are clean because they have journeyed with him. They have heard his words. They have taken them to heart. And as we hear the words of Jesus, as we let them pierce our hearts, as we draw closer to, the, to God, the vine dresser does his pruning work through his words. We read in Ephesians 5, the passage of instructions to husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Jesus' disciples have journeyed with him and have been cleansed through his words as if washed by water. And I think for those of you here who have journeyed with Jesus, if you look back on your life, it's pretty clear to see that you're not the same person you, weren't, you once were. As you have journeyed with Jesus, as you have engaged in his living word, he has done his cleansing work or his pruning work in your life. Next, looking at verses 4 through 6. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so we move into this abiding language. Now, just so that we're all on the same page, here's the definition of the word abide. It is to comply with, to obey, to keep to, to hold to, to conform to, to respect, or my favorite, which is to cling to. Jesus says, cling to me and I to you. And I love to think of the word abiding as clinging because clinging conveys a sense of urgency, like you're clinging to life. If you don't cling to Jesus, you won't have life, at least not life to the full. And the image I always get when I think of clinging is from the movie Maverick. Some of you may have seen this movie with Mel Gibson. Uh, Mel Gibson's character is on a horse-drawn carriage, and he's yanking on the reins. The driver has died. The horses aren't responding. They're going towards this huge cliff, and he keeps pulling, pulling. They're doing nothing. They're not responding. And then right before they hit the edge of the cliff, the horses stop. Mel Gibson goes flying off the horses, off like the edge of the cliff to the point where he's just hanging on for dear life. That's what I think when I think clinging. If he lets go, he's done. <laughs> and so Jesus is saying some pretty heavy stuff here. 
He's saying a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. In other words, he says, you can't do this without me. You need to cling to me. It's also, I think, encouraging to note that it's not our job to produce fruit. Our job is to cling. Our job is to abide in the Lord. But the amazing thing about it is that he's clinging to you. Abide in me and I in you. But if we let go, if we don't cling to him, we wither. St. Augustine said, the branch is suitable only for one of two things, either the vine or the fire. If it is not in the vine, its place will be in the fire, and that it may, have, may escape the latter, may it have its place in the vine. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about the picture of the branches that do not bear fruit being thrown into the fire. I'll save that for Derwin and people with theological training. Um, but I will say this. Uh, it can get into the idea of salvation by grace versus salvation by works. I strongly believe to the point that I got it tattooed on my arm, Ephesians 2, um, that we are saved by grace, not by works. Boom. Um, it's the gift of God. In my opinion, though, if we are not abiding in Jesus, if we're not clinging to Jesus, and through that bearing fruit, then we will wither. Um, abiding in Jesus means experiencing real life. And without it, we will wither. This metaphor of the branches being thrown into the fire is used in the metaphor because the branches of the vine uh, had no other use than the vine or the fire. The wood was so soft, they could do nothing with it. Um, so when the branches were cut off, they were given to the fire only. To choose not to cling to Jesus means to choose a withered life. If we cling to anything other than Jesus, we will not be able to bear fruit. Years ago, I worked as the youth coordinator at my church, and I remember at some point I was sitting in my office, and I was so discouraged because I had this realization that nothing was really happening in my ministry. I mean, the kids would come, we would have fun, we'd play games and do some crazy things, but when it came time to teaching, it felt like people just weren't engaging. There was no questions being asked. And it, I didn't get the sense that there were real, deep relationships being fostered. And I remember at some point in that time, I, I realized that I was no longer clinging to Jesus. I was no longer abiding in Jesus. I was clinging to my work or abiding in my work. And somehow in my brain, I had put my faith and my ministry on the same level. And so back then, if you asked me, hey, John, how's your personal relationship with Jesus doing? What's God teaching you right now? I would have talked only about my ministry and about what was happening there. And after I had this realization, I began to go to work on my own heart and to invite Jesus back. I began to invest time in my relationship with Jesus to learn how to abide in the true vine and not in my work. I think my favorite example of a person who demonstrates well this abiding relationship is Nicholas Herman. Nicholas Herman entered a monastery as a lay brother because he did not have the training or the education necessary to become a cleric. And when he joined, he took the name Lawrence of the Resurrection. You may know him as Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence spent his days working in the kitchen or repairing sandals. But he's well known today because he had this reputation for experiencing a great peace. 
Many visitors came to visit Lawrence to learn from him. What's the secret? And his teachings would become the basis of the book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Lawrence had this profound peace about him because he went through each and every day experiencing the presence of God. Here's one of my favorite Brother Lawrence quotes. He said, we should fix ourselves firmly in the presence of God by conversing all the time with him. We should feed our soul with a lofty conception of God and from that derive great joy in being his. We should put life in our faith. We should give ourselves utterly to God in pure abandonment in temporal and spiritual matters alike and find contentment in the doing of his will, whether he takes us through sufferings or consolations. For Brother Lawrence, God was not an afterthought. This relationship was the most important thing to him. And he notes in the book that there would be times where he would mess up. Of course, he was human. And rather than going the woe is me route and piling guilt upon himself, he would simply ask forgiveness, know that he has received forgiveness, and continue on practicing the presence of God. Continue on abiding in the true vine. And because he was abiding, the Lord used him and he bore great fruit. In verse 7 we read, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, I think there are two common extreme responses to this passage or to this verse. One extreme is to ask everything of the Lord. I want a fast car. I want a big house. I want a lot of money. I want some new shoes. The other extreme is to ask nothing of the Lord. James chapter 4 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he taught, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because there is power in prayer. And it is so important that we do, in fact, ask the Father. But we ask out of abiding in him and the word abiding in us. That, as Bruce Milne puts it, we are in such harmony with God's purpose that the yearning of our hearts accords with his divine concerns. And so pr prayer is answered according to his will. And so I used to often pray over the different areas of my life, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my work today. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my relationships. I believe that there is great power when the people of God are together praying for the will of God. Finally, in verses 8 to 9, we read, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. 
The Father is glorified when we bear fruit, when we prove to be his disciples by bearing much fruit, by allowing the great vine dresser to cut back at the dying, degenerate areas of our lives, that we might put our energy into bearing fruit to the glory of God the Father. Our passage ends, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Friends, I see this passage as a call to action, a challenge that we need to be clinging more to the true vine. We need to allow the vine dresser to do his pruning work so that it is the vine, the true vine alone that we abide in, that we cling to, not distractions, that we might learn to abide in his love. And so maybe as you're sitting here this morning, God has been bringing something to mind, something that he wants to cut back, to remove so that you're not distracted. Maybe the great vine dresser is allowing you or asking you to allow him to do his work, that you might wholly abide in him, wholly cling to him, that you might bear fruit to the glory of God, to his great name. And here's the beautiful thing about fruit. Those trees that I showed you in the Barnabas Orchard, they consist of many different types of apples. There are Big Reds, Pippins, Jonathans, and like 10 others that I could never name you. Um, and these apples are taken and they're blended together to create this amazing apple cider. It's almost worth going to Barnabas just for the apple cider. Here's a picture of apple cider making in action. It's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Each one of us is different. God uses us in accordance with the unique gifting that he has given each of us, and together this fruit creates a beautiful blend. Some of you may remember back in 2014, we went through a sermon series based on the book God and My Everything by Ken Shigematsu. Ken's book is about creating life-giving rhythms or a rule of life to help us experience God more even in our busyness. And you may remember Ken used the image of a trellis, which ties perfectly into our passage this morning. A trellis is a support system. It is used to help vines grow. It stops a vine from being weighed down, uh, and a trellis support system, it helps the vines grow up so that they can get more sunshine. So translate that into our own lives. Ken gives this image of a trellis as an example of things that we can do in our daily lives to connect more with Jesus and to invite him into every aspect of our lives. The trellis is a rule of life, a support system to help us abide more. It's not about adding more busyness to our lives that's going to weigh us down. It's about a system that's going to help lift us up. I live about a five-minute walk from where I work, and most days, when I remember, as I walk to work, I'll pray for my day at work. God, give me grace for my coworkers today, patience for my students when they're not listening. And then on the way home, I'll reflect on how the day went. And too many times, I will realize that I just went eight hours without thinking about God, without abiding in Him. I got distracted with busyness. And maybe you can relate to that experience. So I want to share with you a short video of Ken Shigematsu talking about just three ways that we can prevent hurry and worry in our lives. Or in other words, just three things that we can do to, better, to create this trellis or to better abide 
in Christ, better connect with Christ on a daily basis. So let's watch this together. There are some stages in life where a person is going to be invariably busy and under great demands. For example, uh, a mother or a stay-at-home dad of young children. Uh, or say you're in your medical residency or you're a surgeon in a very specialized area and you just are understaffed. But for many of us, we can simplify our lives. And for many of us, including myself, we tend to add, 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 add. And so I began to create a rule of life or a rhythm of life, a trellis that supported my friendship with Jesus. What did that trellis look like? And so here's something that I've learned that, that actually makes a difference in a person's everyday work world. You may not have a lot of time to pray for a prolonged period in any given day, but if you have a simple rhythm of prayer, even if it's pausing briefly in the morning to meditate, and then perhaps setting the chime on your watch to remind you to direct your attention to God on the hour, you can experience your whole day as a prayer. Uh, Benedict taught that to pray is to work, and to work is to pray. And Benedict believed that if you had some kind of rhythm of prayer, even if it was simple, when you went out to the fields to work, when you did something that was honoring to God, even if that wasn't overtly spiritual, that act of work was an act of devotion and therefore an act of prayer. And so if we can have a simple rhythm of prayer, we can see our everyday work, whether it's in the office, raising children, teaching, studying as prayer. Well, one of the most important practices, one of the most important components of my rhythm or rule of life is keeping a 24-hour Sabbath each week. Sabbath gave me an opportunity to, um, to pray, but to also engage in activities that were truly life-giving. The Abraham Heschel wrote a great book on the Sabbath called A Sanctuary in Time. And I feel like when I'm done work, I can really be present to my wife and our five-year-old boy who's just begun kindergarten. Uh, on, on Sabbath, I feel like I could be present to God, my friends, because I'm not worrying about work. I am experiencing a holy kind of time, a sanctuary in time. One of the most helpful parts of my own simple rhythm or rule of life is to uh, take some time each morning to meditate. Uh, now, uh, by nature, I'm a very easily distracted person. At any given time, I can feel like there are a thousand chimpanzees jumping around in my mind. And so typically sometime in the morning, I'll simply sit for uh, maybe just 10 minutes and I'll breathe deeply. And because I'm so easily distracted, I'll use a simple word like wait that I'll repeat, wait, or Jesus, Jesus, to focus me. I find that what is most fruitful for me is to take a shorter passage of scripture, uh, to read it, to reflect on it, uh, to let it evoke certain feelings and perhaps even inspire certain images in my imagination, and to stay with that passage for maybe a few days, perhaps even a few weeks, and to pray it back to God, perhaps memorize it. And there's something about this practice that causes the scripture to move from my head to my heart, that, that uh, causes the scripture to take root in me and to become part of me. 
and change me. At the end of my simple meditation, I, I tend to feel more relaxed, uh, a little more focused throughout the day, and a little more conscious of Jesus. So those three rhythms were a prayer, a 24-hour Sabbath, and meditation, or the reading and reflecting of the word. These rhythms form the root of the trellis that was pictured. Now again, this trellis, it's not about adding more to your life. We have enough busyness in life. As we talked about, God does this work of pruning, of removing distraction, removing what is holding us back from him. This trellis is not about adding busyness, but rather it's about creating a system of support or a rhythm that's gonna help you connect better with Jesus on a daily basis. It's gonna help you abide more in the true vine on a daily basis. I can tell you in my own life that the times where I feel like I'm really connecting with Jesus, everything is better. I feel I'm, I'm less stressed, I'm less anxious, I have more peace. I, I'm probably a better husband. I'm probably a better worker. Um, I'm better prepared for the trials of life. Now, I've heard Ken Shigematsu speak twice in person, and I can clearly remember both of those times thinking to myself that I was going to create a trellis of like 15 different things, and I was going to start right now. It was going to be great. Um, I always tend to, off, tend to bite off more than I can chew. For example, sometimes I'll have this... I don't know, inspiration, I want to be more healthy. So, okay, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to do uh, 10 minutes of quiet reflection every day. I'm going to do 50 push-ups, 50 crunches, 50 squats, and 50 burpees every day. If you don't know what burpees are, they're the worst. You jump up, you do a push-up, you jump up, you do a push-up. And I'm going to stretch for 20 minutes every day because that's important for a martial artist. And I'm going to eat more vegetables every day. And guess what? I'm actually going to floss every day. And that's a good start. And then after day one, I get overwhelmed and I stop doing all of it. My hope is that the picture of the trellis is a reminder to you. And maybe you're sitting here thinking that you want to implement a rule of life to help you connect more with Jesus, and that's awesome. My piece of advice, my encouragement to you would be to pick one thing, one rhythm that you want to implement to help you abide more in the true vine. As I mentioned when in my own life, the times that I am connecting more with Jesus, I'm, a, I'm connecting better with the people around me. Um, I'm, I'm more patient, I'm more invested, I have more peace, and I'm probably more open to the Holy Spirit looking to use me to bear fruit to the glory of his name. And those are all good things. I'll tell you, I have an amazing ability to feel stress, and my wife can back me up on that one. When I'm stressed or anxious, I will literally feel it in my body. My stomach will be like knots for days. I'll have no sleep. Um, I need more peace in my life. More than that, I need more Jesus in my life. And so as I'm standing here telling you this, this is just as much a reminder for me. Um, this, this rule of life, these rhythms are going to help you, going to help me connect more with Jesus on a daily basis. And so this morning, we're just going to take a brief moment to pause, and uh, we'll leave that image of the trellis up on the screen. And I would encourage you to consider one rule of life, 
one rhythm that you might implement into your life to help you abide more in the true vine, to help you cling more to Jesus, to help you connect more with him on a daily basis. And I would encourage you to ask the Lord for help to continue that rhythm. So take a moment, and then the team's going to close us in a song.